Father, we are thankful that you are such a big and a good God. Lord, we thank you that you, um, that you know our future, that you know our steps, and that you are sovereign and in charge of all. And so, uh, God, we just want to, we do pray for uh, Ignite as we um, look to the future, pray for your leadership and your guidance um, your direction even as we continue to look for uh, other, other meeting uh, facilities, someplace we can lease and have access to throughout the week. Pray that you would open doors that nobody else can, that you would direct us and, uh, and have your way there. Just be, be honored, be glorified in us. Even in the meantime, God, as we wait, as we um, seek, as we uh, continue to worship here, God, would you, would you just capture our hearts? Would you keep us in step with you? Would you be honored and glorified and, and pleased? Uh, with your church here at Ignite. God, we want to we wanna be yours and follow you and, uh, and just have you take the rightful place of leadership here in our midst. Father, I pray now as we uh, look into your word, I pray, God, that you would speak. We just open up our, our hearts and our lives to you and, and invite you to come and lead and direct and speak and minister, God, as you see fit. We entrust ourselves to you and this time to you just to invite you to come. God, come and have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump in for the day. Anybody here ever experienced stress regarding your finances? Oh, come on, liars. Anybody that didn't raise their hand, right? Yeah, I think this is sort of the norm in our culture to experience financial stress at one time or another. If you've ever experienced anything of the sort, then you are in the right place today because we're on week number three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Maxed Out. And it's a series that's all about creating space in our lives for the important stuff and, and uh, for you know, kind of the best way to live. And so we've been talking about creating margin last week. We talked about creating margin in our schedules, in our days and weeks and months. And today, we're going to be talking about um, creating some space when it comes to our financial lives. So just for review, we talked about this last week, but margin is the difference between what you need and what you have, we said. If you need 10 minutes to get to some place that you're going and you've got 20, you've got how much margin? 10 minutes, right? If you make $2,500 a month and you spend $2,000 per month, you have how much margin? If you make $2,500 a month and you spend $3,000 a month, how much margin do you have? That's right, right? And here's the thing. I want you to listen to this because the less margin you have, especially when it comes to finances, the less margin you have, the more stress you have, the more anxiety you live with, the more worry creeps up in our hearts and in our lives because we're created to live with margin in our lives. lives. Margin is having money left at the end of the month. Margin means having some savings, having a surplus that we build up month after month so that when things happen and they will, right? When the refrigerator breaks or the car breaks down or the dishwasher stops working and they will at some point, right? Because everything does that when those things happen, we don't have to pull out the credit card. We don't have to stress out of our minds. We don't have to go borrow money from somebody, We can pay for it because we've been living our lives with margin, right? Margin, like even on a piece of paper, margins are the thing that keep you from the edge. It moves it in a little bit. If we were to write, if I were to write something and fill the page from top to bottom with no margins, it would literally create angst in you as you read it. And it would be hard to follow and hard to read because we need margins. We need some space around the edges, some space in between things, in between things in order to live. Financial margin is something that realistically, I don't think most of us have, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's what we're going to be talking about today. 
Let me uh, start out just sharing uh, a story from my childhood uh, and, and my family's, I guess I'll put it that way, when it comes to money. I, I say it that way because my parents got divorced uh, when I was very, very young. Um, uh, and so I got to watch sort of two parallel um, paths, two different families in their approaches to money. One um, uh, of my uh, parents uh, did very, very well uh, during their lifetimes. They, they had very good jobs. At most of the time, probably during my growing, growing up years, they were earning six figures. I mean, big dollars, right? Big money. Uh, they had great cars, drove a sports car for a long time. Then as they got older, they got like a huge old caddy and some different things. They lived in super nice houses, some jaw-dropping ones over the years. They had pools and they had all kinds of toys and, and great stuff like that. Um, uh, went and took us on some super nice vacations and I mean just sort of lived uh, large during the years so that's that's sort of one of the extremes the other parent in my family I would say uh, I mean you're going to think I'm making this up but I would say a, I don't know if I could say the majority but but most of the time I would say a lot of the time when I was growing up I'm not sure they made five figures I mean even even uh, for part of those growing up years, maybe they made in the teens. I mean, they made a very meager amount to raise uh, to raise a family on, and uh, uh, they, you know hardly ever went shopping for new clothes. They shopped at the second-hand store, didn't really do much with lavish vacations or anything like that. Uh, they didn't uh, didn't have, you know, the best and biggest new things. They didn't live in a huge house. In fact, oftentimes they, they, much of their lives they've lived in pretty meager houses, never had a new car uh, for, for most of their adult life. In fact, oftentimes their cars would be 10 or 15, sometimes more years old, right? Got real used and real comfortable uh, with, with old cars. So both of my parents, so that's, you kind of see the extremes. You've got one making six figures, living large over here. You've got one barely making five figures over here with very, 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 very little. Okay, so I've, I've got to, uh, a front, front row seat to be able to watch this as throughout my growing up here. So what's interesting is both of my parents are still living and, uh, and it's interesting to kind of watch now and be able to step back and look at how it's turned out a little bit. Um, one of my parents um, is, actually both of my parents are retired now. Um, one of them um, is retired uh, and doing very well uh, financially. They, they have no debt whatsoever. They live in a house that's, com- a small house that's completely paid for. Uh, they uh, have a nice car. They, you know, are, pretty well set up come what may, right? I mean, that kind of a thing. The other parent um, is not doing so well. They worked into their 70s, had to, had to keep working into their 70s. In fact, at some point, had to move in with a family member uh, because they couldn't afford to live on their own. They have stockpiles of debt and, and in fact, are about, I mean, are just teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. all the time. Now, now here's my question for you. I've painted, I've painted a picture. Which one do you think is doing extremely well in retirement? Do you think the one that had six-figure income and, and, and did this kind of thing? Do you think they're the ones that are, that, are, that, are living, you know, that are living large in retirement? Or do you think the one that had virtually nothing over here that made very, very, very little, do you think they're the ones that are doing well in retirement? How many, raise your hand if you think it's the six-figure one. Yeah, see, I set you guys up too well. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you think of the five-figure one. Yeah, yeah, here's the interesting thing. We tend to, it's the five-figure one. 
It's the one that we, I mean, grew up on nothing, had hardly anything throughout, uh, throughout uh, most of their lives. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. So often when we talk about having margin in space, we talk about having savings, we talk about getting out of debt. So often in our minds, we think of it as an income issue. We're like, the problem is that I don't make enough money. If only I made more money, if only I had six six-figure income, right? If Then I could have savings. Then I would have space. Then I could have margin in my life. As it is, I'm over here someplace, and I, I just don't make enough. But friends, what we're going to talk about today, and what I'm going to hammer hopefully over and over and over and over again, is, is living with margin is, and I, I won't say never, but it's almost never, is hardly ever an income issue. It is a spending issue, it is a lifestyle issue, and it is a spiritual issue in our lives. And God created us to live with margin. Like I said before, the, the less margin we have in our finances, the higher our stress levels and our anxiety levels get in our lives. And, and what we're going to say, I, I love the song that we sang, the whole Jesus is better, because well, this is what I'm going to say. Jesus' way is better, right? I mean, G- Jesus offers, he says, you know what? I know that your culture lives with very little margin, with, with virtually no mar- margin financially, but you can live with margin, and his way is better. It's better. You kind of tracking with me? On, you, we, we on the same page? You hear what I'm saying? Smell what I'm stepping in? All right, all right. <laughs> I, I, I just am amazed that so often we think that living with margin is an income issue. Let, let me just uh, push into that just a little bit more. How many of us in the room have ever gotten a raise before? Okay, let me ask you this. If, if we think that living with margin is an income issue, how many of us that have ever gotten a raise before, did that solve all of our financial problems? No. How many of us ha- would say that we've gotten maybe six or more raises during our lifetime? So, so did that take care of it? Six raises. Significantly more money. Did that take care of it? How many of, the, how many of us that would say we've gotten six or more raises, how many of us would say, oh man, in the course of that time, I've started putting away 20 or 30 or 40% of my income in savings. I got completely out of debt. How many of us would say that's true? Right? Maybe. Maybe one in the room, right? I mean, so often what happens is as our income increases, what happens? Our spending increases. Sometimes our spending increases at a higher rate even than our income. So we spend more and more. So we get a bigger house. We get better cars. We get more stuff, right? And, and we build that kind of thing up. But I want you to listen to this, this scripture. I'm going to give it to you in two versions. Proverbs 21.20. Listen to this. It says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps theirs down. And uh, listen, this, this is in the New Living. It puts it this way. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Look at that. So the, I want you to look. The wise store up and the fool spends whatever they get. You see that? It's not, a, not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue, and it's a spiritual issue. I think it's a verse perhaps all of us need to memorize. A foolish person, the Bible says, devours or spends or gulps down all that he or she has. They spend every penny they make, and then some oftentimes. A foolish person doesn't save anything, but devours everything they get always wanting, always craving more and more and more. 
But the Bible says a wise man or woman spends less than they make. They save up. They have more than enough. In the house of the wise, there is margin, it's saying. There is more than you need. There are stores of choice food and oils. Notice it doesn't say in the house of the rich are stores of choice food and oils. It doesn't say that because it's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle and a spiritual issue. The wise will choose a lifestyle with margin no matter how much they make or don't make. They will choose perhaps to live in a smaller, not quite as fancy of a house so that they can live with margin in their lives. They may not, not have the newest truck or car on the block. In fact, they may, might choose a vehicle that is much older but is paid for. The wise have stores of choice food and oil saved up. There is a wise way to manage our money, God says, and there is a foolish way. If I can say, and I don't mean this for you to take this personally, but it's true. Can I just say, as a country, and probably most of us in this room, are live, God would say, according to, to his definition, are living our lives as fools financially. We spend and spend and spend and spend. And God says, that is the path of the fool. But he says, but there, there is a better way. Listen to this, First, First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 puts it this way. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich, listen to this, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, how many of us have seen people pierce themselves with many griefs in the financial world? or plunge themselves into ruin and destruction financially. Look at some of these stats that I came up with this week. Um, it's exactly what God's talking about. In 1990, Americans had uh, about $3,000 per family of credit card debt. Today, it's more than five times that. We can't stop ourselves from going deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. And as a result, we have pierced ourselves with many griefs. And we're paying on stuff for decades and decades and decades that is that we bought at Walmart or Best Buy or whatever. It's, it's crazy. People also are overwhelmed uh, by their financial situation. Listen to this. Fighting over money and the stress that comes from that is listed as the number one reason why people get divorced in America. Do you know that? We have almost a 50% uh, divorce rate. It depends on the stats you look at. 50% of the marriages that start will end in divorce, they would say. Um, and they would say the number one reason that people get divorced is because of fighting that happens primarily over the issue of money. Most Americans, they, they say, are three weeks away from financial ruin if they were to lose their job, and the government is leading the way on this stuff. I read this week that the American government, the U.S. government, in order to operate, spends 40% more every month than it receives. 40% more, roughly $120 billion a month they spend are from debt. Isn't that crazy? $120 billion a year or a month. Man, you add that up, it becomes real money over the course of a year, doesn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. It's craziness. I read an article a couple years ago, a number of years ago, maybe three, four, five years ago, something like that, uh, 
that reports uh, uh, got some interaction from China, who is the U.S.'s biggest creditor, said Washington had only itself to blame for our current financial reality. And they called for a new uh, global reserve currency. China scorned the U.S. and they they said that the U.S. has a debt addiction and short-sighted political wrangling by uh, the White House and by D.C. Isn't that crazy? We as a country and we as individuals are addicted to spending. We want more and more and more and more, and we go further and further and further and further into debt to get it. And in so doing, we pierce ourselves with many griefs, the Bible says. Those who pursue and go after money and stuff pierce themselves with many griefs. And I think all of us see this. I mean, we we know this, right? The stress, the fighting, the anxiety, the worry. It's just not worth it. But God says there is a better way. You don't have to live that way. Godliness with contentment, it says, is great gain. It's better. It's huge. God says infinitely better than the other ways of living. Proverbs 15, 16 puts it this way. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. It's better, right, to live with little, to live with, in right relationship with God, to, to even lead our financial lives God's way. It's better than to have great wealth and all kinds of toys and gadgets and houses and cars, but live your life filled with stress and turmoil that comes with it. God says it's better to live his way. It's better to live with contentment. It's better to live with little. It's better to live with margin in our lives. It's better. Better to live in the black than in the red. It's better to spend less than you bake. It's better to have cash reserves and surplus. It's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue. It's a choice, and it's a spiritual issue. There's a better way. All right, let's get practical here. In order to live with margin and peace and that sort of better financial life uh, from God's perspective, we're going to look at four things today. We're going to go over them pretty quickly, but, uh, and, and I think I put exclamation points after all of them. <laughs> so I was kind of feeling it as we were preparing, so we'll kind of go with that. But, uh, but the first one, uh, this one is the, the counterintuitive one of the bunch, but the first one is this, make God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances. Follow his path and give to him first. Now, this is, is not going to make sense according to the world's wisdom of more, more, more. But God says that one of the keys to financial freedom, even to living with margin in our lives, is learning to give to him, first making him a priority in your paycheck and in your life and in your world. Not because God needs your money, he's not broke, but because he wants your heart, right? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our our hearts, the stuff that's most important to us, the, the stuff that we value the most, tends to follow where we invest our money. He knew there's a link between how we spend our money. There's a link between our checkbooks and our hearts. And that's a big deal to him. Giving to God first is the principle of tithing. It's taught throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, the New Testament. Giving the first 10% of our income back to God is the way that the Bible sort of talks about us prioritizing God, of us putting God first. Now, I know this is sort of a touchy one for some of us, especially if we've got a worldview that that, the happiness and the good stuff is really found in the accumulation of stuff. So I know it's pretty countercultural, but I want you to listen to this because according to God, God's, God's saying, you know what? Listen to me on this. Honor me. Put me first because it's better. Life is better this way. I want you to listen particularly to these. Two, two scriptures I put, put in here. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, says this way. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Again, it's another word for tithing. With the first fruits of all your crops. So he's saying, put God first. Honor the Lord with how you spend your money, with how you live your household out, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. He says, then, he says, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Then, he's saying, you'll have more than enough. Then, he's saying, you will experience and live in margin. That's interesting. And I'll give you two, these are freebies, throwaways, but I'll give you two, two things that I think uh, are, are two reasons why. I mean, the first one is there's a blessing that gets associated when we put God first in our lives, in every realm of our lives. We get to experience his presence and his work in us. We get to experience and see his power and know his blessing in very real ways. And we'll talk about that more in a second. The second thing is I, I think there's something very tangible about it as well. When we, when we do this whole thing called tithing and we put God first and we give to him and we honor him, that's the first check we write out. We say, God, I'm, I'm putting you first. I'm honoring you. I think it does something about breaking the grip of materialism in our own heart as well. It's sort of a way of saying, you know what, I, I believe, even by faith sometimes, right? Like, God, I, I believe and I'm choosing to believe that the good stuff is found in you. You're what I'm living for. You're what I want most. You are better than everything else. It's God's wisdom and God's economy, though. I can't exactly explain how all this works and how it, all, how it all plays out, but when we honor God with our money, when we put him first, when we give to him first to show our gratitude, remembering that it's all his anyway, and as a way of saying, God, I trust you with my today and with my tomorrow. I bring my tithe to God. He blesses, and it's just better. In fact, it's the first step to realizing margin in our financial worlds. Let's do another one, Malachi 3.10. Again, look, look at the order here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's a promise and a challenge that God gives us. He's, say, he's saying, test me. I double dog dare you to put this into practice, to put me first in your finances and see if I'm not faithful. See if I don't take care of you. See if I don't bless you. He's saying it's better, right? Now, this is not a, a transactional thing like if you give God $10, he'll give you 1000 I mean, it's not like, it's not like that, right? That's, it's sometimes, sometimes God provides for us and shows his blessing financially, and it's true. He, he does. Sometimes he gives us peace even when there's not enough and we don't know how it's... Sometimes we just experience other kinds of blessing in life. It's not always all that tangible, but often, I'm amazed at how often it actually is. When we trust him, when we put him first in our finances, how we see and experience and know his blessing in our lives. When we give to God, he blesses us back. When we put God in the place of leadership, when we make him our financial manager and the leader of our lives... He shows up in significant, in significant ways. We, as a family, have we've tithed ever since uh, Tina and I have been married. So it's 18 years. Uh, and we have seen this to be true over and over and over and over again. Uh, there's been seasons when we lived on very, very, very little. When we're back over here, like I was describing over here, we're back down towards this. And we're, we were living on a very meager amount and where it was gut-wrenching sometimes to have to write out that check and say, God, we're trusting you, yet we do it. And I'm amazed at the numbers of times and the, the powerful stories we've got of, of ways that we have seen the living God show up in our lives. 
Now, I have to say, I, I recognize that, uh, that, you know, it can seem like a conflict of interest, and I'm the preacher boy, and I'm the church boy, and all that kind of stuff. And so I decided I want to have, actually, a, a couple come up, and Mark and Chris come up. Um, hey, what happened to that microphone? We got that? Oh, you got it? Good, good, good. But I decided to have them come up, and I just wanted to—I uh, was talking with them recently. I think them uh, kind of learning to put God first in this, in, in this area in their lives, the, the financial, is sort of a newer kind of thing and uh, for them. And uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, they were telling me some stories of how they've seen God show up as they've done that. And so I asked if they'd come and, and share a little bit with us. I'm going to ask them a few questions. So, so I know you, this, is, uh, this is a newer kind of thing. We've, we've baptized both of you guys in the last couple of years, and God's done some amazing work in your lives, but, but I'm sure the whole tithing, giving to God thing wasn't really the first thing in the front of your mind, probably a newer kind of thing. Talk about your journey from how did this come up and how was that for you guys? Back uh, as a young adult, tithing just seemed unreal to me. It didn't seem like it made sense that uh, I guess um, watching my parents try to tithe and they were struggling. All, they always seem to be struggling, but they did it anyway um and when we found ignite we couldn't have been in much of worse place financially ourselves and so it didn't make sense then either <laughs> um but we did we we gave just what what we could we mm-hmm. it was the last check we wrote mm-hmm. and uh i was hearing things i was constantly hearing the word tithe and the word tithe and chris was hearing the word tithe and um we went through fi- the uh, Dave Ramsey course, and he talks about tithing a lot. And it uh, something started to click with me, especially when um, we're going through the Dave Ramsey course the second time, which we just finished last week. Uh, but thinking back at, about all that Dave Ramsey stuff, and and I was actually starting to crunch the numbers and say, well, you know, maybe we could start tithing and. Chris didn't even know I was looking at the numbers. Um, we were talking about it on the way to church one day, and of course the message was about tithing that day. <laughs> so um, we decided, okay, I guess it's time to do it. Mm. So, yeah, the following week we tithed, and uh, it, so it's now been the first check we write every, every week. Um, but it seemed like right after we decided to start tithing, uh, one of the cars broke down, and it was going to be $900 was the estimate. Mm. Like, where are we coming up with 900 bucks? Um, it ended up, I was able to get the parts for 300 had someone fix it for me, and when I asked him how much, uh, I owed him, he said nothing. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then uh, Chris was also blessed with uh, a scholarship to... Uh, Why don't you let her tell? Do you yeah. mind? Do you want to tell? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't want to talk. No. Don't give me the microphone. Let me pass it to Chris. Okay, that's she fine. can talk about something that she was blessed yeah. with. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Well, uh, I was blessed with a scholarship to uh, a kid's ministry um, class. And so we still had to come up with the rest of the money. And we had some really good friends that were being nudged by God. And they ended up donating the other half. So I didn't have to pay anything for this class that I'm going through. It's like a it's like a children's ministry certificate, right? Yeah, it's I'll have a diploma in kids ministry. Yeah. So, and then to top that off, the the people who did the friends who uh, 
did donate the rest of the, the money, they ended up getting blessed the next week with a check from hmm. their bank that was double what they donated. <laughs> so Very cool. It's crazy. <laughs> cool. Has it been an, uh, a challenge or has it been easy peasy since you... Uh, it's not always easy. I mean, we're going through uh, a time now where the margin isn't as big as we would like you mm -hmm. know, to be, but um, writing the check makes it seem easier. Mm. You know, showing the faith. Um, we always seem to have what we need. I mean, we, I can't go buy a new pair of shoes every week, but, <laughs> but, Please. but he, he knows not to give us necessarily what we want and not what we think we need, but what he knows we need. And yeah. we always have that. Yeah. Yeah. Any parting shots or anything else you want to share? No. Is it uh, worth it? Uh, it was. Yeah, wait. No. <laughs> this stuff is really for real. Yeah. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yes. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. You just, would you guys say that, I mean, yes. experience significant blessing significant as a result blessing. of putting it first? Yes. <laughs> you know, you think that's not really a blessing, maybe, but it, it is. Yes. Yeah. I didn't have to go to the Yeah, totally. <laughs> but God providing in cool ways. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's thank him. Cool. Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, I don't know, just cool, uh, the, like the way they told me this right after it happened, and uh, they're both just lit up. I mean, they started tithing, and God provided a way for her to go back to school for free, right? I mean, like, like how crazy is that? And uh, cars break down and it gets paid for, all kinds of things like this. But just like she said, this stuff is real. I mean, I, and I could, you know, maybe you just write that off as a fluke, but I'll tell you what, we could, if we had time, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of stories like that in this room alone where people can tell you, like, man, I honored God. I started, I, it was a faith gig. I was scared to death. I wasn't sure how it was all going to work out and how this was going to happen. But I honored God. I put, I put God first. I stepped out financially, and I saw him show up in my world. God says, you put me first, and there's blessing. It's better. So let's go on. Second thing I, I just want us to look at quickly here, and we've kind of already been talking about it. Pop that up if you would is save something, is what I said. Is this locked up? There it is. Save something, right? For heaven's sakes, would you save something? Would you start putting some reg a regular planned preset amount, start saving it and putting it away so that when, when stuff breaks or when things happen, because they will, that we are set up and prepared, right? We, we read uh, Proverbs 21.20 uh, earlier. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And, and then Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 puts it this way. Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it what? It stores its provision in summer and gathers the food at harvest. What's it saying? The path of wisdom, God's wisdom, equals saving, right? Equals saving, putting away, preparing for the future. Don't spend everything you've got every month. Don't be a fool, the Bible says. But be wise and save for the future. Uh, 
And, and, and the, you know, the reason I'm saying that as well, I'm, I'm just saying save something, right? It does, I mean, even if it's a small amount, uh, man, put, start, start putting it away month by month by month. I, I've shared before, but uh, we, do, we do automated that way. We transfer it uh, to a completely different account. And I, in fact, uh, there's been lots of times when we'll do the budget and I'll, I'll up the savings uh, even a little bit more than I think we can do, right? I mean, you kind of make, you kind of move it around be like, I'm not sure that's going to be tied over here, but I, we do that. We put more away than we think and say, and say, you know, if we have to, we could pull that out of savings and use it if, if, if we can't possibly make that work. But I would rather put it away because if it's gone, it's the out of sight, out of mind thing, right? If you, if you take your savings, you put it away, all of a sudden it grows. It starts building and all of a sudden it's something like, hey, this can actually help. We, we put money away every, every month for all kinds of things. I mean, we've got all kinds of uh, little kind of things that we save for as well. Like we know, like my life insurance stuff, the, we get the bill once a month. I save every month for it. We take a little bit and we, we shove it aside, put it into a, its own little uh, kind of account of sorts, and we save up for it. You know, I mean, it, things, we, we've got a dummy account that we save uh, for, uh, it's our car fund. We don't put a lot away, but we put money away <laughs> every month so that when our cars die, because they're gonna, <laughs> like, that we've at least got something there, a little pool that we can say, you know what, this is what we have to spend on a new car. <laughs> a new car. <laughs> yeah. Not a new car, <laughs> but an old car, but new, new to us, right? Kind of, I mean, like we just, you do that for all kinds of things so that when stuff happens, we've got, a, we've got a car repair fund, right? That you put money in every month. Every month we're, we're putting stuff in there and it builds up so that when, you know, the water pump goes out or the needs new tires or the transmission drops or whatever, uh, we've got something that we can fix it with, right? And what does that do to your stress level when you've got money sitting there for the bills that you need? Your stress level starts going down. You're like, you know what? It's a bummer. It still sucks. I never want to spend money on car repairs. <laughs> I don't ever. I don't ever want to re- replace my refrigerator. I don't. I just, but it, it's a totally different deal. If you've got the money sitting there, you can be like, okay, we, you know, God provided the money. We've got it. Let's, let's do it. It takes away the stress. Oh, Proverbs 13, 11, even if you're just saving a little, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow, right? He says, you store, you store that up, you start doing it regularly, and all of a sudden, you've got something, right? Okay, keep going. We, we could spend a lot of time on that savings one, by the way. And I'll say this at the end again, but the wise man is not, is not uh, the person that knows that they should save. That is not the wise man or the wise woman. It, it, the wise person is the one who does it, right? Who puts away the money month after month after month after month so that when stuff happens, you're ready, right? You're prepared. The Bible has a ton to say about being prepared. Anyway, let's go on. Uh, this one, declare war on debt. Man, our, just like we talked about at the beginning, our country, our, the culture of our world right now is just like, it doesn't matter. Just spend it. Just buy it. Pull out your credit card. You need this, right? You need this new TV. You need to have Blu-ray. You need to have a new car. You need to have this and that. I mean, all these kinds of things. That's, that's the messages that get pumped into our home, onto our TVs, onto our Facebook feed, on everywhere, right? Over and over and over and over and over it's, it's just not true, though. We don't have to live that way. You can choose to do it. Listen to the scripture. This is kind of the, the quintessential one. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant. means literally the slave to the lender. 
can I just suggest most of us are living as slaves. Does that word make you cringe a little bit? It should, right? We don't, we're Americans. We don't like these words. Most of us have chosen again and again and again to live our lives as slaves. We've taken out the credit card so easily and swipe, swipe. We can't pay the bill. Now we've got 15% interest on it. We can't pay the bill. So we pay a little bit and then it gets bigger. And then the next month something else happens. Or we have no savings, no reserves. So something happens to our car and what do we do? Here's Visa. Here's MasterCard, right? And now we've got thousands of dollars worth of, you know, that's, that's building. The average American family has $15,000 of, uh, of credit card debt. At 15% interest, we'll be paying on it for decades. For decades. We're, we're paying for stuff that we bought 10 years ago that probably doesn't even work anymore, right? I mean, like, we're, and we're still paying on it month after month after month. It's, there's a better way to live. God's saying, man, be careful because when you and I go into debt, we are enslaving ourselves. We're saying, you know what? I'm going to pay on this for the next five or 10 or 20 or 30 years. God's saying, be real careful. Be real careful. If you know, he doesn't say don't get a mortgage. He doesn't say don't go buy a house or something. God doesn't say that. He's just warning us that you're, you're enslaved when, as we accumulate debt, especially stupid debt, you know, credit card debt and all that kind of stuff. Don't do it. Don't enslave yourself. And, and, and if you, if you are, are in a place where you've got a ton of it, he's saying pay it off as soon as you can. The average uh, American right now has, uh, spends 47% of their pre-tax income on debt repayment. Half, roughly. Half of your, who would like a 50% raise, right? Like, can you imagine? What if, what if we don't have to live in debt? What if we don't have to live enslaved? What if we were to declare war on, on debt and, and make it a priority to get out of debt Imagine an extra thousand or two thousand or three thousand or four thousand dollars a month. What if we really, what if we chose to take some short term losses to live with less, to live a more meager life right now so that we could get out of debt, so that we could pay that stuff off? Can I suggest that it would be so freeing for us? Because the thing about debt, too, the other part of enslaving, uh, um, the other part of, of the enslaving deal is we're, we're, we're making a promise assuming that nothing will change. Well, what happens if Cat goes through another round of layoffs, right? What happens if the economy tanks and we lose our job? The average American has three weeks cash reserves, and then we're done. God says there's a better way. Don't enslave yourselves. Some of these guys just have been through the Dave Ramsey course. I told them, I'm like, you're going to hear a repeat, man, of, of, of what you guys have been talking about for like the last 10 weeks. But, man, this is, there's a better way to live. Imagine what it would be like to live in, a, in your reality, to come, to come up with a plan even and start walking it out that you could walk out of debt and into freedom. It's the fourth one. I'll, I'll just hit this real quick. 
The fourth one is to, to you know, create a budget, come up with a plan, but not just come up with a plan. Like a lot of people have come up with a great budget and a great piece of paper, and then they kind of shove it in the file cabinet and spend however they want, right? The hard part of this is actually doing it, right? Following through on the plan. But man, if we want to learn to live with freedom and margin in our finances, this is a, this is a must do, right? To come up with a plan, a plan that's honoring to God, a plan that, that includes living with margin and, and storing up, having some savings and some cash reserve, a plan that includes getting out of debt as quickly as you can, freeing up those funds. But imagine what it would be like to live with margin like that, to, to live this out and see the fruits of living out this plan over the next three, four, five, ten, whatever years that it would take. Listen to this. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, puts it this way, uh, the plans, and I underlined that on purpose, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Haste. Are we ever hasty in our spending decisions? Right? 25% of all commercial purchases are, uh, are impulse buys. Right? It's, we just see stuff, we want it, and so we buy it. Right? We never think, like, can I afford this? Do I have the money? We just buy it. We want it, and we buy it. Uh, there's a great Saturday Night Live skit uh, that, that, we sh- that I should, I think it's Steve Martin and somebody else, you should Google it, look it up on YouTube. That, but it's this whole thing, and they're, they're like, I don't understand. I mean, the, the one guy's saying, you know, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. And Steve Martin on there going, now, I don't understand. So if I see something I really like, I buy it, right? And the other guy's like, no, no, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. And so they're kind of playing on this whole idea of this impulse buying that we as Americans are just saturated with. Like, if you want, sure, go buy it. doesn't matter. You don't, there's no interest for 36 months, right? It's like free, except it's not, right? But the that's exactly what the scripture is getting at, man. That impulse buying that, that, uh, that in our purchases, it says, leads to poverty. Whereas planning, the plans of the diligent leads to profit. Oh, I got a great, can I tell you one more story and then I'll, I'll wrap it up? I read this great article this week. It was uh, challenging and great at the same time. <laughs> but uh, they took a whole bunch of uh, Christ followers, uh, neurologists took a whole bunch of Christ followers, hooked all the stuff up to their, their brains and that kind of stuff to monitor brain activity. And uh, they brought them in and they, uh, they said, uh, okay, we want you to recall or tell us about a time when you experienced God, maybe a powerful worship time, maybe a time that God really spoke to you, maybe a time that you saw his provision or you knew his voice or his smile on you or whatever. And they had all kinds of images around the room of, of Jesus and stained glass. They had Christian music playing in the background. They were trying to create an atmosphere where people could really think about God and think about his work in their lives. And as, as they're retelling these stories, as they're thinking about God, they're monitoring brain activity and they found, you know, there's one specific area there's lots of areas, but there's one specific area that was really activated in the brain and uh, created some, uh, some specific hormones and that kind of stuff were released at that moment. And they said, aha, this is, this is the part that we're going to keep an eye on. Then they took another, uh, it, was, it was significant brain activity, I should mention. It was easy to see, easy to monitor, easy to record. Then they took another group of people into a room and uh, hooked them all up and all that kind of stuff. And they said, okay, here's, here's the thing. Uh, 
this group, they had pictures around the room of like new boats and like Ferraris and iPads and electronic stuff and all kinds of things. They said, we, we want you to tell us a, about a time when you purchased something. Like, and it was, it was a buzz. It was awesome. You got something that you've always wanted. And, uh, and they were measuring this. And so they got people telling stories about, about, oh man, this one time I went out and bought this car and it was awesome. Or I went and got this huge TV and the biggest sounds of the subwoofers like shake my entire house. And I mean, it was awesome. And they got them telling stories about that. The, the interesting thing is it, is it targets the exact same part of the brain. The exact same hormones are released Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. He says, you will hate the one and love the other, or vice versa. You'll love the other and hate the other, right? I mean, that, that kind of a thing. That's exactly what the study was finding. He's saying, you know, we as a culture have substituted stuff for God, even in our brain chemistry. We've, we've lived our lives to go after the buzz of purchasing, but the only thing is it never lasts. So then we gotta go get something else, and then there's a newer, shinier thing, and something else, and we go and we purchase, and we purchase, and we purchase, and we purchase, and we think, man, this is it. This is the good stuff. But so slowly that fades. We have substituted right relationship with God. We have substituted worship of God. We've substituted relationship with God for stuff. And you know what God says? God says, you know what? Going after stuff will pierce you with many griefs. It'll lead to financial ruin. It will lead to hardship and loss. But Jesus says, God says, but there is a better way. There's a better way. We can live our lives by honoring God first, by aligning ourselves with his plan, by even giving to him first as an act of faith, by declaring war on debt, by saying, I have got to get out of this, and walking that path month after month of, of learning to get out of debt, saying no to debt as much as possible to try and walk that path, saying yes to savings, to creating surplus margin in our financial worlds, and putting all of these things into a plan in which you live out month after month after month. God says, you know what? That leads to blessing. That leads to margin. That leads to peace. Wise men and wise women are not those that know it, but those that do it. My hope and my prayer for us today is that we will be people that go home today and put these things into practice because we need it. We need it in our lives. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, even though it's hard for us to hear, hard for us to swallow sometimes. Lord, we know that it is true. We know that you have our best interest in mind. And so, God, we open up our hands, our hearts, our lives, even our pocketbooks this morning. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, would you come and teach us and lead us on the path to freedom, the path to, to blessing, the path to life. Father, forgive us for, for too easily and too cheaply um, walking the path that goes after stuff and money and riches and pleasure and whatever. Instead, Lord, teach us to become men and women who walk in your wisdom. 
who honor you with every part of our lives. Help us to become men and women uh, who walk your path that leads to freedom and life and blessing. We need you, Jesus. We offer ourselves to you afresh this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.